Hello, everybody, and welcome to Episode 6 of The Silent Suicide. I'm your host, Jacole Martinez, and thank you so, so much for tuning in. I like to start off every episode with the dedication to my good friend, Melanie. Melanie, I love you. I miss you very, very much. And I hope you're looking down on me, smiling and laughing. I also like to extend a prayer to those of you listening who might be considering suicide at this very moment. I want you to know and understand that you are loved, you are worthy, and you deserve to live. So let's get into what this week's topic is. It's going to be all about schizophrenia. Now, I will admit that beyond my annual training through my employer, I actually knew very little about schizophrenia. And so this was a very eye-opening week for me, and I'm really glad that I decided to dedicate this week's episode to the topic. So as we always do, let's start off with a definition or an overview of what the current week's condition is. Schizophrenia is a serious mental illness that affects how a person thinks, feels, and behaves. People with schizophrenia may seem like they have lost absolute touch with reality, which can be distressing for them and for those around them to include their family and their friends. For people with schizophrenia, the risk of self-harm and of violence to others is greatest when the illness is left untreated. The symptoms of schizophrenia can make it difficult to participate in usual everyday activities such as work or relationships, but there are effective treatments that are available today. Many people who receive treatment can engage in school or work, achieve independence, and enjoy different kinds of personal relationships. In the United States, only about 1% of U.S. adults have schizophrenia. Compare that to one in five people who have an anxiety disorder. And worldwide, there's about 24 million people who have been diagnosed with schizophrenia. Now, the primary research in this week's episode is from the National Institute of Mental Health. I will say that that is also a great website. I'm really learning a lot from the resources that they have available and the information that they have published. So if you haven't, I would suggest checking it out. Let's go over the onset and the symptoms. After this episode airs, I would love it if you guys would email me or text me or DM me on any of my social medias and let me know if there was anything surprising that you discovered during this episode or if there was something you learned that maybe you didn't really understand before. I want to know that this podcast is not just educational for people, but is continuing to start conversations and is raising awareness of all mental health issues. So let's talk about the symptoms. First of all, people with schizophrenia are usually diagnosed between the ages of 16 and 30, and that's after the first episode of psychosis. However, research shows that gradual changes in thinking, mood, and social functioning often appear before the first episode of psychosis. And schizophrenia symptoms obviously can differ from person to person, 
but they generally fall into three main categories. One, psychotic, two, negative, and three, cognitive. I had never heard of those three categories before, so I really kind of wanted to spend a few minutes delving into that. So psychotic symptoms include changes in the way a person thinks, acts, and experiences the world around them. People with psychotic symptoms may lose a shared sense of reality with everyone in their life and experiences the world in a bit of a distorted way. For some people, these symptoms simply come and go. For others, the symptoms become stable over time or they can get worse. Psychotic symptoms include hallucinations. When a person sees, hears, smells, tastes, or feels things that are not actually there, that is classified as a hallucination. For example, hearing voices is common for people with schizophrenia. People who hear voices may hear them for a long time before family or friends even notice that there's a problem. Another psychotic symptom is a delusion. When a person has strong beliefs that are not true and may seem irrational to others, that could be a delusion. For example, individuals experiencing delusions may believe that people on the radio and TV are sending special messages to them that require a certain response, or they may believe that they are in danger or that others are trying to hurt them, when in reality, that's just simply not true. Then there's something called a thought disorder. When a person has ways of thinking that are unusual or illogical, that's a thought disorder. People with this specific disorder may have trouble organizing their thoughts and their speech pattern. Sometimes a person will stop talking right in the middle of a thought, jump from topic to topic, can seem erratic in their thoughts, or make up words that have absolutely no meaning. Another disorder is a movement disorder. When a person exhibits abnormal body movements, So people with this certain disorder may repeat certain motions over and over and over. Now, to me, that kind of sounds like what we talked about last week in the OCD episode, but movement disorder and OCD is actually quite different. So now let's go over the negative symptoms. The negative symptoms include loss of motivation, loss of interest or enjoyment in daily activities, These people tend to withdraw from their social life, they have difficulty showing emotions, and they have difficulty functioning normally. So negative symptoms can include having trouble planning and sticking with activities, even simple things such as grocery shopping or going to work, having trouble anticipating and feeling pleasure just in everyday life. I couldn't imagine what it would be like to go through life and never experience pleasure or just regular enjoyment out of life. That would become very depressing very quickly. And so I really, really feel for those that suffer from schizophrenia. Also, talking in a dull voice and showing limited facial expressions. 
Now, for those of you that know me personally, you know that I definitely don't suffer from this particular symptom. I have no problems talking in a loud and animated voice, and my facial expressions give away my thoughts long before my words ever do. How about avoiding social interaction or interacting in socially awkward ways? Having low energy and spending a lot of time in passive activities. In some extreme cases, a person might stop moving or talking for a while, which is a rare condition, but it does exist. These symptoms are sometimes mistaken for depression or other mental illnesses, but it really is specific to schizophrenia. And the third set of symptoms is the cognitive ones. So cognitive symptoms include problems in attention, concentration, and memory. These symptoms can make it hard to follow a conversation, to start a conversation, to learn new things, or to remember appointments. A person's level of cognitive functioning is one of the best predictors of their day-to-day functioning. Cognitive functioning is evaluated using very specific tests. So cognitive symptoms include having trouble processing information to make decisions, having trouble using that information immediately after learning it, and having trouble focusing or paying attention. So now that we've kind of gone over the overview, what schizophrenia is, the different symptoms, what are the risk factors? How is it predisposed that someone is going to be diagnosed with schizophrenia or does it something that happens over time? The first risk factor, as with most mental health illnesses, is genetics. Sometimes schizophrenia can run in the family. But just because someone in a family is diagnosed with schizophrenia does not automatically mean that there will be others in that same line that will also develop schizophrenia. There are different studies out there that suggest that there's different genes that can increase a person's chance of developing schizophrenia, but at this point in time, there has been no single gene that's been proven to cause the disorder all by itself. The second risk factor is environment. So the old adage, you are a product of your environment, well, this is a perfect example. Different research has suggested that a combination of those genetic factors and aspects of a person's environment and life experiences can play a role in the development of schizophrenia. These environmental factors include maybe living in poverty, prolonged stressful or dangerous situations or surroundings, and exposure to viruses or nutritional problems before birth. Now, the third risk factor is has everything to do with the brain structure and the function. So there's been some research that shows that people with schizophrenia may be more likely to have differences in the size of certain areas of their brain and in the connections between those brain areas. 
So some of these brain differences may develop even before birth. Those same researchers are also working to better understand how brain structure and function relates to schizophrenia as a mental health disorder. So at this point, you might be wondering, how can I help a friend or a relative or really anyone in your life that may have schizophrenia? Well, there's a few things. One, it can be difficult to know how to help someone who's experiencing psychosis. Being in the presence of someone experiencing psychosis is not an everyday occurrence. It is definitely more likely for those of us that work in the law enforcement field. But here are some things that you can do if you happen to find yourself in that situation. So one, Help them get treatment and encourage them to stay in treatment. As with all mental health illnesses, there is little to no point of someone starting treatment and then just abruptly stopping it. Once someone starts any kind of treatment, whether it's medication or therapy, they should stick to that course of treatment. Always remember that their beliefs and their hallucinations are very, very real to them. Don't ever tell someone who's experiencing a psychotic episode that what they are feeling, seeing, hearing is not real. To them, it is real. And then, of course, be respectful and be supportive and be kind to people without tolerating dangerous or inappropriate behavior. The second their behavior turns to that dangerous or inappropriate realm, please, I encourage you, call 911 and get them immediate medical attention. There is also a list of different support groups and family education programs, such as those offered by the National Alliance on Mental Illness. So again, some of these symptoms require immediate medical care. If your loved one is thinking about attempting suicide or hurting themselves or hurting those around them, seek that help right away by either calling 911 or calling the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. Or you can text the crisis text line, hello, to 741741. So I always like to bring back the mental illness and how it correlates with suicide. According to the National Library of Medicine, a lifetime suicide rate in individuals that have been diagnosed with schizophrenia is approximately 10%. Suicide is the largest contributor to the decreased life expectancy in individuals that do suffer from schizophrenia. Demographic and psychosocial factors that increase a risk in suicide in individuals with schizophrenia include a younger age, being male, being unmarried, living alone, being unemployed, being intelligent, being well-educated, having poor work functioning, and having access to lethal means, such as firearms. So as you can see, it runs the gamut from 
being intelligent to being unemployed and living alone. More recent research indicates that a lifetime rate of suicide in individuals with schizophrenia is actually between 4% and 13%, while the model rate is about 10%. And the reported rates of suicide attempts in patients with schizophrenia varies between 18% to 55%. And there was one certain study showed that depressive symptoms, suicidal ideation, and plans and a history of suicide attempts are amongst the most important forecasters of suicidal behavior in the early phases of schizophrenia. I'd like to end the episode with a story from someone who actually works in the field. This story is from Pamela Kruger, who is currently a mental health clinician working for the University of Texas Medical Branch, contracted through the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. Now, I won't get too far into her bio because I've actually invited her to be a guest interview on an upcoming episode. I'm very, very excited to record that interview. I think she will be a wealth of knowledge, and I think you guys will really, really enjoy her stories. So I'm going to read it verbatim because I don't want to misinterpret her story. It says, I can tell you a story about an 18-year-old who came into custody for a serious felony charge. When he came in as a crisis intervention worker, I could tell that he was in crisis. I was able to assess that it wasn't drug-related and recommended two corrections to get them housed in our medical unit, as it appeared that he was either going to experience a first break or a psychotic episode. Unfortunately, the next day, when I came in, he was not moved and the break became very apparent. He rapidly decompensated. Over the next few months, he went between safety cell and a normal cell in our medical unit, where he never once left medical. I spoke with his mother, who reported that she suffered from schizophrenia with positive symptoms. With this information, we were able to work with him to find a treatment. Unfortunately, today, our jails have become the forefront to treating the severely mentally ill. There was one time he was coming in from outside, and the officers were trying to get him to go back into his cell. Normally, I would not stay and watch, as it often pulled on my heartstrings, but this time was different. I watched him as his whole demeanor changed. His eyes literally turned black, and the officers changed their tone as I had taught them to do, which allowed him to come back to reality as his eyes changed back to normal. Many medications and a lot of intervention later, an injectable antipsychotic was a lifesaver for him. This kid was doing well in school, was going to college, and in one second, it all changed for him. When I left California, he was doing very well, living with his family with a high level of functioning due to family support. I really found that story both relevant to this week's topic and to really drive the point home that because she also works in a correctional setting, psychotic episodes and different experiences with mental health illnesses is almost a daily occurrence. And for those of us who do work in the field, 
We do know for an absolute fact that the population is really turning into severely mentally ill inmates. So I want you guys to message me, let me know what you thought of the episode. Also, I just put in a second t-shirt order. So if you haven't ordered yours yet, just let me know what color and size you want. They're only $10 and I will get it expedited shipped to you. Thank you so, so much for the support and the love. And I hope to continue to do this for the rest of my life. Now, normally at this point in the episode, I tease what the following week is going to be about. But here's the thing. I'm trying to work on something very exciting. And so just in case it doesn't happen, I don't want to tease next week's episode. So you'll just have to tune in and find out. I hope you have a great week. And don't forget, being different makes you special. Thank you.